Hi, marketers. Welcome to another episode of the Marketing Maverick Show. My name is Chris. Hi, I'm Asim. And our guest today is Atif Bashir, who is a B2B marketing expert with more than 10 years in the field of digital marketing uh, in the whole sector of B2B. And um, yeah, he has worked on many different types of technologies and marketing channels, including inbound marketing, SEO, search marketing, and uh, various other channels. And the great thing is he has a lot of experience in the, I would call it corporate and SME sector, where, which is a sector which we maybe sometimes not even have the, let's say, access to, or where we're not so much involved in on a day-to-day basis. So that's what we want to, that's what we are very curious about to chat today, how work is different, how um, the whole approaches are different in that sort of market landscape. So, and he works currently um, as the head of marketing and operations at Prequin, which is a financial technology company. So first of all, welcome to you, Atif. Thank you very much, Christopher. Nice to have you. Okay. So firstly, I'm curious, how do you, how do you manage internal responsibilities with regards to, let's say, a marketing channel that you handle? For example, let's take SEO, uh, search engine optimization. How, how do you operate it as, as in a sense of, let's say, who is responsible to who? Um, well, w- within, within large and medium scale um, businesses, you essentially have two options. You can either run a very lean marketing organization or you can run an inflated one. By what by that I mean lean as in you can have subject matter experts internally and then you outsource execution to your external partners. Um, a lot of organizations do have that sort of a structure where they want to stay lean, have less liability and have more um, kind of um, dynamism in their marketing organization because they have access to multiple outsourced partners. Um, other organizations would like to take everything in-house. So they have a dedicated team for each, each area. Um, now in B2B, by and large, there are few kind of sub-departments in marketing. Um, they, they, they either are very granular to the level, as you said, to the channel level. Um, and if you're a very big organization, you will have uh, an inbound marketing department, an inbound marketing manager who will, who will take care of, of, of something like SEO. Um, whereas in small medium organizations nowadays with modern marketing uh, biz- uh, businesses are trying to take a more you know, cohesive um, structure to their marketing organization. So you have uh, organizations like demand uh, generation or uh, sub departments like demand generation or ABM, if you're a really sales driven organization or uh, product marketing, you know, channel marketing, it, you know, events, physical events and, and all of that sort of stuff. So it, it really depends on the organization of the business. But within my business, um, we have a digital team, uh, which I manage um, as a part of marketing tech and marketing ops that essentially provides subject matter expertise for the rest of the marketing organization. So I have an inbound marketing expert uh, who has access to external external um, uh, execution partners, external agencies, and we manage essentially a workflow internally in the business. So if product marketing needs some inbound marketing campaigns or SEO in their area, we'll kind of uh, try and help them. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And Adi, what would you say is your top strategy, especially during COVID now for lead generation? Because so much has changed over the last few months. How have you coped and what are the new things which you're doing? Um, I mean, as every other business, and I think it's, um, it's inherent to human beings that we are very good at uh, adapting uh, with, with situations, right? Um, Frequent, particularly within our business and within largely within the sector that we operate, events are, are, are very um, 
an effective uh, way or they are the norm. Like a lot of marketing um, organizations within the area in general, in FinTech as well, they spend um, a considerable amount of their budget on, on physical events. Um, and there are loads of consortiums uh, and there are loads of seminars and that has taken a hit of course in the last year. And like every other business we have reacted as well. Um, and we have kind of pivoted towards you know, uh, physical, uh, from physical to virtual events, um, but also invested in digital. We have made our approach um, to marketing more holistic in terms of an end-to-end -end integrated marketing campaign rather than just focusing on tactical channel. And so we have reacted to it and we have started to create marketing campaigns that are more end-to-end -end in terms of from top of the funnel right through to, to, to either nurturing or from nurturing right through to end of sales. Um, so that has been a positive. Uh, generally, organizations struggle to start working and creating integrated campaigns, but this has kind of helped uh, kind of push the organization into doing things in a more modern and, and, and sophisticated way. Hmm. And in those integrated campaigns that you now run, what are the top metrics that you look at on a consistent basis, let's say on a weekly and monthly basis, the KPIs? Uh, so it essentially depends. So the, the, the anatomy of, 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 of a B2B marketing campaign essentially um, is built up of a few core pillars. So you can have an, a, a, a B2B marketing campaign that is more top of the funnel driven, so more around mm -hmm. acquisition and nurture, or you could have a, a B2B marketing campaign that is more retention driven, essentially, you know, existing upsell and cross sell that's towards the bottom and across across the conversion um, uh, stages. Um, therefore, the measurement metrics differ, right? If you're trying to generate a lot of, um, you know, buzz and awareness around it, we tend to look at top of the funnel inquiries. Are people downloading our, uh, you know, um, collateral uh, PDFs and fact sheets and so on? What's the engagement with the uh, with the collateral? Um, now we also have the ability to, 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 to do experiential content. And that's alluding from, from your previous question, uh, Wasim, what we have done uh, from in COVID, we have invested in experiential content where people can go onto our website and, and interact with the content rather than just consume it. So, so we use all of that content at the top of the funnel and measurement of engagement with experiential content, measurement of downloads of our collateral um, and any inquiries at the top of the funnel kind of, they, they, these are the metrics that we look at. Um, and of course, you know, Footfall. People might say that footfall is a vanity metrics, but it is not. If you are if you are going towards if if you're targeting your marketing, if you have a targeted message, and you're marketing in the in the areas or in the audiences that you know are your target audiences, then footfall matters. So when I say footfall, number of visitors, impressions, people sometimes tend to think that these are vanity metrics, and in instances they are. You're right. But if you're doing hyper-targeted mes uh, messaging and hyper-targeted marketing and you operate in a niche environment, then footfall is important. Um, so that's, again, at the top of the funnel. At the bottom of the funnel, we look at engagement with more, um, with more core tactics like uh, we, we do always on marketing or always on um, uh, uh, email campaigns. So how long further down the email drip funnel do people engage? Um, do they consume the content that's at the bottom of the funnel? Demo, demo submits, how many, how many demonstrations have we uh, agreed on? Uh, we have a trial account, how many new trial accounts have we created? So these are towards the, the bottom. And of course, uh, at the retention stage, we look at uh, metrics like engagement with new products and, and kind of 
if people want to know more about new products and new features that we've asked. So it kind of, it kind of depends on what 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 the campaign is. Is it more pivoted towards the top or towards the bottom or towards the yes, middle? For sure. Cool. Um, I think that obviously makes sense, especially for B2B where you have clearly defined um, sales funnel stages. Um, one of the things which I hear from startups is mostly when they, f they tell us there's, there isn't like enough, let's say on Google, where people are searching for the product. Um, in your experience, do you think if somebody has raised, let's say some kind of money from VCs or seed money, or even if they're bootstrapping it, where do you think they should invest um, in, like, in terms of channels? Because every channel has got its obviously pros and cons. But for a startup, it's also very difficult because they have to judiciously spend that money. Um, and in your experience, what have you seen in the past which has worked? Um, well, there, there isn't one size fits all, being frank, right? Um, it depends on what your product is. It depends on where your audience is, right? Um, and it depends where that audience is active, right? Um, and if you're talking about startups and what channel they should invest in, um, I think uh, immediately people should invest in earned media, right? Earned and owned media, both owned and earned media. Um, specifically in, in, in today's age where we are developing reams and reams of content, I think immediately if you're a startup, you should start investing in influencer marketing for me. You should look at that as a launchpad for you. It allows you to really control the messaging. It allows you to control the budgets uh, because if you go for you know paid media, you are really you are at the helm of 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 the display networks, right? So I would recommend um, if it's a startup, start with and, and frankly speaking, there are influencers in every single industry today. You have people talking about engines uh, from engines to people talking about SaaS products. Um, so 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 you can find influencers in all this. I think that that should be big, um, especially for the next year. Um, and when you speak about inbound tactics and inbound channels, whether it's Facebook, Google, and all of these uh, platforms, I would start with organic. Um, I would invest, I would recommend a startup to invest in organic to begin with, and then start looking at uh, develop a paid media strategy. Um, although it might sometimes seem that it's easier to activate paid media and kind of get dollar for dollar value, uh, but it's not because you're not optimized enough and mature enough to, to compete with the big boys who have more dollars, right? So I think if you essentially invest in organic channels and organic, um, you know, uh, tactics like influencer uh, marketing or, or, or organic search marketing, and then layer it up with um, paid media, that should be a good start. I'm sure Chris will have lots of questions on the back of it, but I want to ask one question before Chris opens up the next one. Um, I think the biggest concern with that um, statement is uh, startups want results now, like today. If we tell them SEO will take a year or six months to kick in, they usually don't have that time or that patience. Um, again, as I said, it depends on the strategy that you want to take. If Even if you want to take quick results, it isn't a guarantee that you can, a, a particular tactic will give you, as at the beginning of my statement, as I said, it depends on where you operate. Uh, but the investment that you make in, 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 in organic, you know, um, channels uh, has a long-term return. Whereas uh, the investments that you're going to make in paid, paid, paid 
paid channels might might have a short-term return, might not have a short-term return, right? For example, if you're operating in, let's say, um, in, in, in an insurance industry, right? The cost per clicks are north of 30, 40K on an average, right? You're going to burn out. You're going to burn out so quickly that your VC is, you have nothing to show back, right? So I think you need to build up eventually to be mature enough to start spending. I think there is, you have to start, start thinking about it. But again, if you're operating in a very, you know, breakthrough new industry, then probably money is your kind of tool and you can just start splashing the cash and build a huge audience. As I said, it really depends on, on where you operate. Hmm. It does It does really make sense. And even for those companies or startups that do use paid channels, if they don't go the inbound marketing route, then um, you have pretty much nothing. You have no basis uh, or, or content base and so on. Um, so I do see that. And I mean, inbound marketing is one of our primary channels as well, but based on that, what you said, like based on the long-term aspect. So I wanna, I wanna ask you something about the tools and technologies you use. Um, obviously you work with like a lot of, and a lot of client projects over time in your roles, let's say at Ledger Bennett, for example, I, I can imagine um, you worked on obviously leading marketing teams. What are the, what's the tool stack that those brands use, the more SME and corporate brands, versus let's say smaller small small and smaller businesses and startups what's the difference in the tool stack um, um the marketing tech stack is hugely crowded right it, it, it's hugely hugely crowded um and it has been seeing innovation uh, one of the, the the few industries where people have really kind of innovated and you know uh, kept up with the the parallel technologies whether it's ai or machine learning whether it's been adopted or not is a secondary question. To, to go back to your fundamental question, what are the technologies? It differs, right? There are big boys at the top of the pile like Oracle and IBM and SAP, and they have their own products to cater for, uh, for marketing technology stack. Um, and then there are new boys who have grown over the past who have been acquired like Marketo that was recently acquired by Adobe um, or HubSpot that is getting backed up and is increasing its market share in, in, in America. Uh, these are few of the marketing automation platforms at the heart of it. But then at the lower tier, you have people like Active Campaign, and then you have new next-gen platforms like um, Braze or Drift, uh, who are incorporating essentially new-gen technologies like AI and machine learning. Um, now, here's the, 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 the difference between large organizations and small is this. There's a pros and cons. The large, large organizations, they come with a legacy. and They always have a dinosaur of a tech stack where you might have an old school Siebel as a CRM system layered up with an old school email platform from Oracle, that's 10 years old, right? And they want to migrate that to something new. And essentially that all of that requires, you, you need to have a robust, sophisticated system. Um, so you make those vendor selections based on that. Um, now I can't answer the question of what technologies we use because there's loads of technologies I have used over the past 10 years whether working with SMEs or whether working with large-scale organizations. Um, and there is a bucket. Uh, there are multiple buckets for these technologies. So if I really have to kind of bucket them in, um, in, 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 in from, a, from a heart of it, you always have a marketing automation platform at the heart of it that kind of pulls the levers to everything. So when we talk about marketing automation platforms like Pardot, that is sales acquired, Salesforce acquired, HubSpot, you know, at the lower fund, you have active campaign. As I said, you have Drift coming up now, Braze, you have people in B2C world like Exponia, then big boys like Eloqua, 
and um, and uh, and you know Maketo, which I believe is becoming is more bigger, or from SAP, SAP Hybris, these are big big platforms. Um, so these set up the heart of marketing automation systems where you kind of pull the levers of lead allocation, lead routing, uh, lead rating, you know, all of uh, lead scoring, all of that sort of stuff, and run automation campaigns. And then on the peripheries, uh, specifically, if you're a B2B organization, you are looking at sales automation and sales enablement platforms. Um, so sales enablement platforms like Seismic, which enable content in real time, like um, Highspot. Uh, these enable AI in terms of not salespeople finding the content, but content finding salespeople, right? And then you now have an X-Gen of sales engagement tools that sit essentially at the, at the, at the, at the bottom of the funnel with SDRs and BDRs, the platforms like outreach or sales loft. Um, so that's going down the funnel. Going up the funnel, there is a huge amount of platforms, whether it's uh, predictive analytics platforms that help you with media buying, or whether it's you know, display side platforms, or, you know, DSPs that help you buy media in an intelligent manner. There's a huge amount of platforms that you get to work with. In consultancy days, I had the opportunity to work with multiple clients. Therefore, I had the opportunity to look at multiple tech stacks. Some were old, some were new. And in my current role, my tech stack is quite lean, but growing. Um, we, we, we are growing in terms of our tech stack, but we are keeping it lean as in that we don't want to overcrowd uh, the stack with too much technology uh, because then adoption becomes a challenge. Okay, that's perfect. It's a very, very detailed answer. And I think it helps a lot to categorize it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, there's a lot of lessons to learn there. Atif. Um, you're right, there's, there's so many tools out there, but also, I think when we speak to a lot of SaaS businesses and SaaS startups, um, what can they learn from small to medium-sized enterprises, in your opinion? Like when you speak to um, any startups, you, you realize, obviously, they don't know what they don't know. So what lessons do you think are key for any kind of success for SaaS? Um, in terms of, uh, so I paraphrase your question, in terms of, them going to market or in terms of them being sellers uh, as a buyer what my recommendations are for them i think as to market their service or tool um it, it, again it depends on where if you're talking about martech it's a very crowded space uh, but having said that as i said we haven't reached like digital maturity in small and medium businesses right there are loads and loads of businesses that haven't that have missed multiple chapters of digital transformation that don't even have a CRM system uh, and they're scaling up and they're suddenly realizing or they're scaling up in a niche uh, industry where they don't have, they have very little um, competition. Um, and now as competition grows, they start looking at digital avenues or trying to pack up their digital arsenal. Um, so if, if you're operating in that industry, then probably the best way to do it is um, is essentially become a partner and, and be open in terms of your um, services. Uh, you, you need to handhold at that level. Um, if you're trying to operate and trying to sell to, to, to bigger businesses, then you have to have a product. Not only do you have to have a product, you need to have a, a first-class ex experience as well in terms of customers. You need to have a customer-obsessed product. So you might have the greatest technology, but if you don't have the services to deliver that, you're going to fail. So it really depends if you're trying to sell to larger businesses or if you're trying to sell to smaller businesses. I think smaller businesses really appreciate small gains, as you earlier said, whereas larger businesses want a continued um, experience rather than just the, the, the delivery of technology. 
Mm. Okay. Um, another side of, uh, I think, obviously, the work you do is, I, I imagine, is also being involved in purchase decisions. For example, like you said earlier, like getting, uh, building up your marketing tool stack. So what I'd like to find out is like, how how does the buying cycle, the buying process look like in, let's say, those those companies or brands you worked in and then the roles you had? Again, with bigger organizations, it's a longer buy cycle, whereas with smaller organizations, it's quicker. Uh, but having said that, it depends. Again, uh, the organization okay. leadership is very agile and very, you know, progressive, then buying cycles are very quick. But in, in, a, in, a, in a small, medium organization, uh, there are certain, uh, there, there is a sequence of events that has to happen for a small, medium organization. So the, the way I do vendor selection is I essentially encourage um, the, the requirements that I get, and then I look at the market. Now, it starts with research. So you research with analysts from, I don't know, gardeners to foresters and all of these uh, you know, research analysts because there's no point reinventing the wheel because they've done all of this. And now you have got crowdsourced um, you know, uh, review sites like Captera, G2 Crowd, all of this stuff. But essentially, I start doing the market research based on what market research firms say. After that, you kind of essentially... Um, whittle it down to three top three uh, uh, vendors. Um, the next stage is to do an immediate kind of requirement assessment if they do what you need. Then you move on to stakeholder demos. So you kind of demonstrate the platform with the key stakeholders who will essentially use the platform. Once you make a decision and a consensus has to be made because you need to ensure that you involve the users right from the outset. One of the biggest problems in, uh, in a lot of organizations is they look at platform in isolation. They don't look at platform in tandem with people and processes. And they go and buy these Ferraris and they don't have drivers uh, or they don't have the garages to keep these Ferraris in. So they spend loads of money into these Ferraris and they don't know how to use it. So, so that's one of the key things I do right at the beginning. I involve key stakeholders and I ensure that I have the skill set to use this platform the business has the maturity to, 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 to do because, you know, we need to ensure that. Once yeah, that sure. happens, you figure out the product, then it essentially has to go through um, procurement systems. So legal, infosec, IT, um, and nowadays, essentially data governance as well, because these platforms, if it's a platform that looks at PII, it looks at that as well. And then any peripheral systems, if the system has to be integrated with Salesforce or your CRM, you bring in the product managers. And eventually you do a POC. I don't buy platforms without having the ability to do a POC for two or three months. Mm. Uh, then you essentially sign up the platform. R roughly, if it's a bigger system, it takes anywhere between, you know, six weeks to eight weeks to kind of do the research, onboard it. And that's if you're very lean and agile. Um, but there are instances as well where you have more agility in buying the platforms. If you are buying a platform for a very small team, it has very low touch in the tech stack. Um, so, for example, I recently purchased a platform called Gather Content, uh, which essentially helped my publications team to do editorials online. They can share uh, rather than doing it on a 365 word. They do it uh, on, on gather, uh, gather Content where they kind of structure the content and multiple stakeholders have. They have a flowchart. It goes from one editor to the other editor. It was a very easy, low-touch tool. It doesn't integrate with anybody, anything. Um, it's quick online um, uh, online order you don't have to go through vendor selection of course you have to go through legal and infosec that you can't avoid 
Yeah. So based, I would like to ask like a follow up on this, like the, the based on the first stage of the research where you say like looking at those software discovery platforms, do you have any preference? What are the best of those? Like, um, like you said, Captera and so on, like what, what would you typically prefer in those? What are the best platforms? When you mean what are the best research firms? Like, like um, what I mean is like, which, which are the ones that you constantly check? Which are the ones that, that you value a lot like in terms of uh, taking the research from there? Like what are the best of those platforms that you constantly study? If you have to buy Vendor and Gartner is for the forefront because they have a huge analyst, uh, army of analysts, and they cover a lot of areas. Forrester covers a lot of areas as well. Then there are smaller firms that do that as well. Um, and frankly speaking, it it really depends um, of what you're looking for and if the analysts have the coverage for, for, the, for that sector. Um, and eventually go on the vendor's website. And if the vendor has kind of essentially... Um, if the vendor has featured in one of these, you know, Gartner does the Magic Quadrant reports, Forrester does the Forrester Wave reports. If they have, if a vendor has, um, you know, essentially um, featured in those reports, they, they generally license them and they have it on their website already. Uh, and you get to, you know, kind of, if for an exchange of information, you can download these reports and you can read through it. So if, 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 if it's a platform that has, kind of, you know, featured in, in one of these, they generally white label it, license it from these research firms and use it for a demanding purpose. And as a buyer, that's that's good social proof for me. Cool. <clears throat> I think there's loads of questions we want to ask, Arthur, but I'm very over the time. Um, I think one of the questions which I want to ask very selfishly is obviously you've transitioned from an agency business or model to more of a fintech company. What differences have you noticed? And it's like a twofold question. The second question is, what do you think is the future of the agency model? Um, well, I've done that twice, by the way. So this is my second time that I flipped from consultancy to client side. So I yeah. started my career in consultancy. I went to client side when I, and I went back to client uh, consultancy and I've come back to, 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 to client side. It has helped me humongously. It has helped me largely because I've been able to keep up with a lot of things. Um, um, I mean, agency models have been there for ages, so I don't know where they're going, but as I said earlier, it depends and I don't think they're going to go away. It depends on, on the client side and the, the need for it. Some organizations want to work lean and they want external partners um, and they'll keep continue working like that. Some organizations, they go and become inflated and they bring uh, talent in-house and what happens over the period of time that talent becomes redundant and they again go out. So it's, it's a cycle where uh, from a client's perspective or from you know um, business perspective, they keep, you know, flipping in and, in and out of out of this over a period of time um the differences between working consultancy and and client side are there's core differences one when you work consultancy side there is a lot of exposure you get because you work with multiple clients and you have the ability to work in multiple projects yeah. sometimes client side that is not possible but I've, I've been in a lucky position where i've been a part of growing businesses uh, who are maturing over time therefore i get there is a consistency of new things to do um, so, so that's always, that's one different. So that's kind of a pro and con in terms of, you know, the, the other thing is that in consultancies, you don't get a sense of satisfaction. That's like from a personal professionals where you don't get a sense of satisfaction or accomplishment because you do something as thinking that this is your baby, but then essentially you give it all away and somebody somewhere else is going to take credit for it. So from a self-accomplishment point of view, it just feels a little, you know, oh, you work hard and 
and and of course you get rewarded for it within your organization but essentially you know um, if if you work within your client's organization um you're just a contractor uh, whereas with, with with the client side you get to see reward and you get kind of accomplishment you get you know praised for the work that you've done you don't get that in a consultancy in a consultancy also it's very because it's time and material you are in a constant kind of the the, the pace of your life is very fast uh, whereas in client side it doesn't need to be you reprioritize and prioritize and you kind of have to just look at the end business goal uh, the, 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 these are some of the pros and cons and difference in terms of where the agency model is going i don't think it's going anywhere i think it's staying um you can't automate the agency model we still buy from humans right the 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 the, the, the day we start replacing our buyers with ai tools and we start replacing our sellers with ai tools you might probably think otherwise but today we still buy 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 from um agency but but i'll tell you one thing I believe trivial tasks will be replaced by and are being replaced by machines and therefore agencies have to pick up their game and become really subject matter experts in what they do uh, because over time I believe we will have a software or a machine for a lot of the trivial and repetitive tasks which we're getting therefore outsourcing something like uh, that is repetitive and laborious isn't going to be an option that agencies can pick up as a revenue stream they have to give something that is you know uh, that has that adds value that is more expert that is more complicated as 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 services yeah yeah well said good perspective on that um finally in case anyone wants to contact you what's the best way to get in touch linkedin is the best way to get in touch uh, I, I, you can contact me on linkedin anytime if you, when you if you want to <laughs> okay Cool. Thank you so much, Atif, for being on the show. It's really educational as well as inspirational. Um, I'm sure there'll be people who look um, up to you and want to be in your position. And one final question. If somebody wants to start a career in digital marketing today, what will be your feedback to them or what will be your suggestion? I think my suggestion would be if you want to start in digital marketing is don't... Um, don't go you know horizontally don't go deeper at the beginning ensure that you have the breadth of it um at, to, at least to begin with um and then figure out where essentially do you want to focus as your expertise um so don't essentially just go into one tactic or one channel to begin with i'd say if if you if you're starting career ensure that you have you understand at least you understand or you have the comprehension of the breadth of it you don't have to be an expert in marketing automation an expert in inbound marketing an expert in you know uh, content curation and content automation um just understand the breadth of it just understand how it all works and you know comes together and then figure cool. out what what particular thing that you want to gain your expertise in cool thank you so much atif thank you very, very much, much. Thank you guys thanks, thanks. Okay.